Welcome, everybody. If you've ever worked in a restaurant, the happenings in Nose to Tail, a new film from director Jesse uh, Ziegelstein, starring Aaron Abrams, who both happen to be my guest today, uh, will probably ring a bell for you. It is the story of an abrasive chef who struggles to make a go of his failing restaurant, and it happens over one day and one night. Uh, welcome. Oh, thank you for having us. Yeah, nice thank to see you. you. So this movie... Uh, feels to me like it was made by people who have at least worked in a restaurant at some point. Have either of you had restaurant experience? Well, here's my first big confession uh, of uh, uh, the day. Uh, I actually have not uh, personally worked in, in a restaurant, but I uh, have very close friends and family members who um, have uh, worked in food and wine and restaurants. Mm -hmm. And so uh, without having put in the time myself firsthand, I have had a, a pretty up-close uh, view behind the scenes of uh, uh, restaurants like this and the uh, uh, the subculture. Uh, and so I felt, you know, I, I, I had enough of a uh, uh, immersion to... Um, you know, to de depict it in a in a, a realistic manner. And Aaron, you're an actor. You must have waited <laughs> tables at some point. Yeah, yeah. I was terrible. I was like the Mr. Bean of waiting tables. It was terrible. Like ketchup being spilled. Yeah. Uh, my first ever job was working in a basement, probably illegal, 16 years old. And my shift was 10 at night to 2 in the morning, seven days a week. And I just was in the basement. I had to clean the basement and essentially had nothing. No one ever came in the basement. Yeah, yeah. But at 1.30, I had to clean the bathrooms. It was a terrible job. But, like, you know, that's what you got to do. And uh, I think it's, you know, certainly 16-year-old me needed a bit of a kick in the ass. So it was <laughs> perfect. But, like, that, yeah, that's essentially my, my uh, um, history of working with, in restaurants, which was both – I did it once then at the Indian Motorcycle Restaurant. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, that's right. I remember that. Right, yeah. that, which was they hired me by mistake. <laughs> I applied to be, like, a busboy, and they hired me – they were calling me the wrong name, and they were, I was in the, it was kind of like fine dining. Yeah. And I didn't know anything, and so I, I was fired in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Oh, was, you lasted a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, that was people were I, very I, upset with me. I all don't the time. think people understand how stressful it is. You know, oh, I, I always God. think like bank tellers and waiters and bartenders probably have it the worst because you're dealing with people's and bank tellers, their money, waiters, you're dealing with their food. And you know mm -hmm. you and they want it fast and they want it fast and they want it right and they want it you know exactly the way they want it. Ugh. Yeah. Well, that kind of pressure cooker was um, what we tried to capture. You know that that sense of uh, of stress mm -hmm. and uh, urgency um, and the uh, uh, the amount of weight that um, you carry if you work in a, a, a restaurant and. Um, uh, yeah, people. Uh, there's expectations uh, from the uh, the people that you work for, uh, and of course the uh, uh, the patrons as well. Yeah, I always say that working in restaurants, and I did it for a long time. I yeah. bartended for about 17 years. Like, oh, I did it for like, a long time. That's the pressure cooker right there. Well, it is. Uh, but you've got the thing that everybody wants, right? You've got the booze. <laughs> and so you, you do have like a little bit more so you, like, uh, feel power, like a king. I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. You can kind of be the king a little bit because <laughs> you're the one that can say, nope, you've had enough. you got to uh, get out of here, right? Waiters, you can't really do that so much. But I always say I learned how to talk to people working in a bar, mm -hmm. and I learned a sense of urgency. I learned that if something's going to get done, it's got to get done now. And, right. and that, to me, are the two sort of cornerstones of whatever career I built after that all came from learning those two things by working in bars. Yeah, I think when I was 16, I, I had this very 
cushy, stupid belief that like people who worked in restaurants was a transition to something else. But like everyone else who worked at those restaurants were lifetime yes. people. And I, I, my existence pissed them off that I was just there for a little <laughs> bit to make some money during the summer or whatever. And not only could they do it, was, were they doing it for a lifetime, but they were, they were manicured just for like that kind of urgency right. was built into them in a way where I was like, I can't do this forever. I would be a husk yeah. at the end. Like, I don't understand <laughs> how you guys do this, but it was, uh, so that was a real eye opening in that sense. Like, I think that's the, that's the real learning for kids to get into the restaurant business. Just be like, you know, people can, people do this. People do this yeah. and people, I, I have friends uh, from my days, I haven't done it for 20 some odd years, more than that probably now, but I have friends who are still doing it. Mm. And, and I think there, there's a gene that you, you either love it, uh, and will do it forever. Or like me, I loved it up to a point. And uh. then there was this moment. I was also at the same time, uh, I wrote my first couple of books while I was bartending. Oh, wow. I, you said I, you had done it for 17 years? 17 years, man. And, and I had, I liked it enough that I had a TV show and I still bartended part time oh. because I enjoyed bartending. But then there was the moment when, uh, you get, and I think uh, this is true for a lot of people, you hit this wall where you hear the door open and you go, uh, what does this goof want? And right. when, you, when that happens, it's over. You start hating people. Yeah, when that happens, you have to leave. And that's mm. when I left. Uh, and and I still think back like kind of fondly on it. But if you don't have the passion, uh, you're absolutely not going to be able to pull off the job. Daniel, the character that, mm -hmm. that Aaron plays in the film, is more than passionate though. I yes. think he is uncompromising, he's disagreeable, he's all kinds of stuff, but he felt like a lot of the chefs that I worked with over the years. Yeah, I think that's, and, and certainly a lot of chefs that I, I had observed as well, and, and certainly the famous chefs all mm -hmm. sort of have that, that it's, it's not just pride in their work, it's a, like you say, uncompromising pride, which um, they're pouring so much into it that what they want out of it is impossible. Jesse, you were saying that you've never worked in the restaurant business, but you certainly uh, spoke with a lot of people who had. What kind of things did you learn from your friends? Because this takes place in a fine dining restaurant, but I imagine you talked to people who'd worked in everything from fast food all the way up to five-star dining. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think uh, the the range might not have been that that wide. The, re the reason why I chose this particular kind of restaurant, uh, an owner-operated, um, small footprint but high ambition um, kind of place is that this is, uh, this is the kind of restaurant that has been popping up in uh, cities all over, all over the world, mm -hmm. essentially, not just North America or Europe, um, as a kind of model uh, for um, the, these p passionate, obsessive chefs who are um, trying to do something that has the same level of uh, dedication and uh, um, uh, quality as uh, traditional fine dining, but in a context that maybe is not quite as stuffy, mm -hmm. um, is not burdened with the same um, uh, demands as the, you know, the, the classic Michelin, um, uh, three-star type right. of uh, establishment. And it was really this kind of restaurant that I was interested in. It was, uh, the, the closest that I could, you know, uh, see parallels to, um, 
other other art forms, you know, independent um, filmmakers and, and artists and other uh, uh, and other mediums. Uh, and I and I thought it was uh, uh, a ripe uh, arena for dramatization. It, it really hadn't been uh, made into a kind of fictional film uh, uh, story before. Um, and so that was what I focused on. And it just so happens that most of the people that I um, that I know that I've sort of made a composite <laughs> character out of, um, you know, were, were working in these kinds of these kinds of places, or if they were working in bigger uh, restaurants, aspired to um, uh, one day, you know, be the be the captain of this mm-hmm. kind of uh, of this kind of ship. Uh, so that's what that's what I sort of narrowed my focus on, um, and tried to. Uh, in, in a in a very organic way, uh, over some number of years, you know, gather information, notes, uh, insights into uh, this particular milieu, and then when it came time to write the script, just distill it all down into one day, pack as much of the information that I had gleaned over years uh, into uh, uh, into this very self-contained story. Restaurants are really a fascinating kind of ecosystem. I could never understand why there hasn't been a reality show mm-hmm. set in a restaurant. You set it back of the house and then you see the customers. You got ample opportunity to have all sorts of different people coming and going. I just think it's a great idea. Sure. Someone can take that idea <laughs> if they want it because it, it needs to be done, I think. Yes, sure. <laughs> I, I, we would all watch it. I, I think any restaurant that would allow that to happen yeah. wouldn't be probably well, You'd have to build your own. You'd have to... You'd have to oh, I, it, the, like a... Re, the like restaurant would be called reality. Yeah, yeah. I see, yes, yes. I think it's the only way it could work. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we just got a minute left here. Talk about Daniel a little bit. Mm-hmm. He is uh, a character. He drinks too much. Uh, he's got a, a short temper. He's passionate. Um, I didn't ultimately, though, think after watching it that he was a bad guy to the core. I thought that he was someone who uh, had been caught up in all the stuff that he wanted, all the the ego driven stuff that he wanted, yep. and 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 it and it got away from him mm-hmm. somehow. How did you see him? Uh, yes, I think it was, well, that's great that you saw him that way, I, and uh, I, I saw him the same way. I mean, you can't just have a guy who's essentially in every scene of the movie talking and yelling at everyone, mm-hmm. and him, it would just be white noise if he didn't really want love from people um, and and be pouring everything into trying to get that. So it's not just that he's like some perfectionist diva, and it's not that he's bitching. Um, he's he's passionate, he's... he's um, uh, a, a sort of animalistic. I've, I found that like, people like in the Cassavetes world, like right. the, those kinds of performances were, those are kind of bad guys, but you're kind of rooting for them. We were talking about the character of Daniel mm-hmm. and how he is someone who I think had great expectations for his life. And then when they didn't exactly pan out, he's clearly talented. He's clearly someone who knows what he wants. He just can't quite seem to get it. And for some reason, that really struck a chord with me. And I think that a character like him, as we were just saying earlier, could have been abrasive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he there, there's a heart to him, I think, that's still beating in there that he'll rediscover one day, maybe. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's that push-pull, I think, with any sort of... Uh, perfectionist or artist where you feel like relationships will sacrifice your art, but at the same time, your art can't 
you'll never be fulfilled without those relationships. Yeah. And so it's like you're living in this sort of gray zone where you're kind of constantly miserable and you want love, but you're not really uh, available to it because you're so, you, you think it'll take something from you in some way. Um, and I think it's maybe hopefully that relatability that makes him a little sympathetic, just, just enough. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's prickly mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's, he's indefensible sometimes, but uh, I, th I think there's at least some stuff in there where he has um, a, he, his needs are are so human that uh, I think hopefully you can sort of sympathize or root for him or at least have a, an opinion about him. You can't hopefully it's just not as I said white noise where you're like this guy is a, a yelling yeah it's piece not of like crap. Hell's Kitchen where you just have the the chef yelling at, right. at calling his his subordinates donkeys and things yes, like that. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. He's, it's it's not quite that. It's it's a little bit more more nuanced and. and um, you know, I think Jesse did a great job in, in condensing into one day mm -hmm. where you really see the, the fire he's under. He's basically trying to save his whole restaurant in one day. It's, it's sort of like a big night, you know, on yeah. steroids a little bit where he's, he's, it's just, you know, he, he's really in the, in the, I mean, in the frying pan. I don't know. Yeah, there's yeah, probably some cooking oil, metaphor. The hot yeah, oil. Yeah, 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 yeah. From the flying frying pan yeah. into the oil. That's it. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, we're close. <laughs> Jesse, this movie covers uh, a great deal. So it's a very eventful day and night for Daniel. Um, there are personal problems that he's having. There are financial problems that he's having. His landlord's not happy. No one's happy with him. Uh, there is an interesting uh, allusion, though, to the hashtag Me Too in restaurants in here as well. There's a scene, and I don't want to give anything away, but there's a scene that that I think uh, in, indirectly uh, addresses that. And it is something that gets talked about a great deal these days about uh, restaurants and the kind of occasionally toxic culture in them. Um, can you speak to that a little bit and tell me a little bit about um, finding a way dramatically to make that work? Uh, sure. Um, well, I'm, I'm aware of the, um, uh, the changes in the restaurant culture, or at least the attempts to address some uh, longstanding um, grievances, uh, justifiable grievances uh, that um, people have uh, against star chefs, owners, uh, uh, powerful men generally, uh, which is a similar situation in the entertainment uh, uh, industry. And um, this film was conceived and, and, and made roughly in the same, uh, uh, you know, the same time period as uh, the, the, the Me Too movement um, and its repercussions um, occurred. So I couldn't help but be conscious uh, that these were currents in the culture and um, ought to be touched upon because it, you know, they're, they're relevant issues. Um, and as it applied to the character, um, it, it was a tricky, it was a tricky line to walk. Um, you want to make a character, I'm interested in, in characters who are difficult, uh, who have contradictions, who, uh, have that push pull that Aaron was talking about where you're drawn in by them. They have qualities that, uh, are, uh, admirable they're charismatic but at the same time you're you're repulsed because they they, they do things that are um, indefensible um, abusive uh, and to determine where the borders are uh, with that is uh, that's the tricky part like um, what line do you cross where you where the character becomes um, 
uh, a monster uh, mm-hmm. who you can no longer um, you can no longer see those human elements in, uh, or you've simply lost uh, any any sense of empathy with. Um, and so I, you know, you try to you try to flirt with where that line is, and um, because that's the 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 tension, the dynamic is uh, the whole point of it. And I think it gives the audience uh, more of a challenge when they're um, drawn one way and then pushed another. That must have been uh, a scene that you would approach with a certain amount of caution. This was a guy who, who, uh, in these particular scenes, you know, he, he, with his front of house sort of on again, off again, girlfriend was, was, um, like he just needs her support so badly. He's so fraying at the seams that it's almost ch- childlike what he needs from her. Um, he, he like he just needs to be held mm-hmm. ultimately. Like you know, in, in that sort of innocent terms, like that's really all he needs. He's expressing it terribly. I'm, I'm not defending what he does, obviously, but um, I think in in that kind of in, in trying to get to the heart of what he really wants, um, he just wants someone to say you're doing okay. Uh, you know, some any kind of love is what he needs, and so there's a human quality to what he's doing, where it's obviously coming out wrong because he doesn't have any of the tools. Uh, and again, it, I'm not trying to defend mm-hmm. what he's doing, but like, if I'm playing it true from that that perspective, uh, hopefully it comes across in that gray zone where, yes, you can say this guy's doing. Terrible. He's speaking. He's speaking. He's he's being a chauvinist in this moment, or being demonstrative or anything. But like he's it's he's uh, he's coming about it from a, a place where he doesn't mean to, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and yeah, that's that's the. It's a tough part. one to talk about. Oh, See, for that's sure. the thing. Yeah. It's a tough one to talk about uh, because he does something that is kind of inexcusable, uh, but there's a motivation for it. Mm-hmm. it. Doesn't make it any less excusable. And you know, when she calls him on it, he does completely cower. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, he's he doesn't like he's not digging his heels in. Yeah, yeah. Jesse was about to say that there's a comic element to some of this. Yeah, in terms of uh, mitigating the the character's awfulness, that we attempted to uh, leaven his uh, his 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 grim abrasiveness with some tonal shifts, and and there are little uh, uh, bits of comedy that I think take some of the um, uh, the sting out of the behavior without. You know, without excusing it uh, or trying to laugh it off, but there is a sense in which he's just as much kind of pathetic uh, uh, and laughable uh, as he is um, a uh, a hard driving um, uh, perfectionist mm-hmm. uh, uh, jerk. There's also some uh, nods to what has become uh, modern restaurant culture. Uh, so the celebrity chef is one of those things. Mm. Uh, also, bloggers. Yeah, there's yeah. a whole situation with the blogger that happens, and you know that's new. I mean, that's mm-hmm. ten years, twelve years, maybe in. Um, and and I thought that the way he dealt with the blogger in the film was probably by blowing up at her. Is probably the way a lot of chefs would feel like uh, they would like to behave, but just can't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Completely oh. inappropriate, but. Yes, hopefully it's a bit of a fantasy for for yeah. chefs. I, I, and same with food trucks. I mean, he has a situation with sort yeah. of a food truck guy, which is sort of a new 
thing, but there there are also two things that would infuriate this kind of dude where they're sort of, in his mind, pseudo-professionals. They're mm-hmm. not like a professional food critic who, you know, knows food. It's just some some person with a with a website and, and a food truck is like not some trained chef like he is it's a person with a making making some weird you know fusion snacks so <laughs> it, it, for, for him it's particularly triggering to have these people tread on his turf yeah. in any way which is a testament to Jesse in the, in the well, script and and Jesse there's a great deal of this story that has to do with the idea that the old ways in Daniel's opinion were the better ways. Mm-hmm. You were yelled at in a kitchen. You were, you know, through, I guess, I don't know, tough love in a kitchen. You were you were forced and pushed to be uh, the best you could possibly be. And he sees uh, anyone else who hasn't come up that way as having relaxed standards, as being sort of the end of, of this grand tradition that, that he so clearly uh, loves. Um, tell me a little bit about weaving that into the story. Well, th- that's a theme that is... Uh, certainly dear to my heart, um, and uh, it's familiar, you know, throughout uh, many film genres, westerns, uh, cop films, yeah. uh, m- movies about artists. You know, uh, uh, the, the, that sense of the the culture moving on, and um, the the protagonist. Usually, it's a male, you know, a, a male protagonist uh, being uh, caught. Uh, in these 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 shifting currents uh, mm-hmm. and and being a man out of time, uh, and so I uh, I did apply that you know that basic framework to the um, uh, to the restaurant setting and and you know I I am obviously conscious of all these changes that, that have occurred in the uh, uh, in the restaurant world uh, in the last ten or twenty years and. You know, it, it came pretty uh, organically what his what his resentments would be and what his what his position would be towards um, uh, the advent of of new technologies, um, media, you know, new media uh, forms, um, and uh, and new business models, uh, people doing things differently than uh, than he was uh, uh, taught to do. And how, uh, as Aaron said, how infuriating that would be, and it would it could just be this 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 drumbeat throughout the movie. Um, none of these things, in and of themselves, is going to topple him, but um, as a kind of uh, a critical mass of, of forces that are that that he feels are, are uh, kind of countervailing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you again, it ups that pressure on him. He he feels it coming from from every from every angle. I think every every scene is someone almost demanding that he evolve. And him right. refusing, right? Yeah, and so, yeah. and the world itself is demanding that he evolve, and he's refusing. So yeah. it's sort of like this constant, like he needs to change or he needs to grow in some way, and it's just a constant battle for for you know the the eighty some odd minutes of the film. Well, he's trying to just simply keep the doors open. Yeah, yeah. And so you know his his uh, priorities are way more basic. Keep the doors open. Mm-hmm. Make sure that we have food to serve to the customers that come in tonight. I'll work on myself later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is sort of how I walked right, away right. from Back it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking I'm going to keep pounding this with food analogies <laughs> <laughs> and cooking analogies. You were just on a morning show. Oh, just God. before you came here, uh-huh. and you went to do, they did a cooking segment with you, and you went to do Some the little chef flip. Miscommunication happened where they had me actually cook for people. Yeah, and, and, it, and it didn't work, which <laughs> no. I which Why I Why would it ever work? 
But did you have to uh, study with a chef just to learn how to hold a knife, how to yes. do all that stuff? Because this, if that doesn't work, no one's going to buy you as a as exactly. A and and uh, so Nathan Campbell, who is a local Toronto chef, uh, I flew in a couple, uh, flew in early before the shoot, and, and got to do um, a couple of days with him. And he sort of ran me through the paces, and there were certain things that. He said that I did well, and certain things that he was like, this can never be on camera. You can't be doing this on camera. Well, the thing I, he said I could do was carving, so there's me sort of carving a pig right. in the movie. Um, but there's, the, you know, a lot of the fine cutting work yeah. was, you know, that's that's trickier for me. He said that my hands were like mittens. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of stuff I did learn from him, just like shadowing him for a couple nights, was, was the physicality. I think mm. if you watch this movie, I'm never not leaning on something. And right. all these guys are on their feet for hours yeah. and I just was like oh right like and you're watching these guys and they're there's they're all jacked up because they have to be alive and mm-hmm. filled with energy but they're exhausted constantly and so there's this this sort of uh, uh um uh, like like a like a buzzing sort of just like a, a trapped animal yeah. yeah but you're also sort of they're on their feet and they're they're leaning and they're just looking for any kind of way to if they have a, a bit of relaxation somewhere they're going to sneak it in yeah, physically, it is a rough job. Mm-hmm. Just I physically. Mean, you I, would know, bartending is Yeah, bartending, you know, you're on your feet for eight, ten hours at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I spoke with a kind of, I was invited to this little fancy dinner last week. And, uh, I, and I was talking to a very famous chef who said, I'm so done with it. <laughs> I am so done with it. He just with the standing it, it, or it with was, the whole it, thing, it, the physicality yeah. of it all. Just so done with it. It really feels like uh, the domain of of someone who you know twenty year olds, but twenty year olds uh, aren't chefs, yeah. right? Well, that's changing, yeah. and um, we wanted to emphasize how brutal the uh, uh, the physical toll is in in the movie. And there's you know uh, evidence that he's you know, really damaged his back and yeah. he's addicted to, disintegrating to, to pain, to painkillers. And I wanted that to be without, without underscoring it with like a big speech about, you know, his body falling apart. Uh, we wanted to carry that through in, in Aaron's physical, you know, phys- physicality. Um, and yeah, the, like 40 for a chef is, is retirement age now. Uh, and it is, it is becoming much more of a young man's game. And you see a lot more of these restaurants in this mold um, being opened by 26 and 27-year-old mm-hmm. chefs who, you know, are maybe not ready for the rigors uh, and and probably don't have the experience, let alone the business sense, to uh, uh, to run a restaurant. But they're physically in their prime right. and they can and they can do it. Jesse, you wrote this as well as as uh, directed it. It's your first time directing a feature film. What was it about this this setting, this idea that appealed to you. Uh, well, first of all, I, as I as I as I said earlier, uh, I felt like this particular um, uh, setting had not been uh, fully uh, exploited as a you know as a, a dramatic um, uh, uh, milieu, and I wanted to uh, see what I could do with um, this particular world, and then. I had a, a I had a strong sense that this was going to be a very low budget uh, independent film, and I had to make the most of the resources that I had, and therefore trim the the story, uh, constrain it in as many ways as I could for practical purposes. And so I uh, I, I tried to um, 
focus it as much as I could uh, in time and in space um, to uh, and still accomplish what I wanted to uh, uh, accomplish uh, and evoke this very contemporary uh, moment in uh, um, in in restaurant culture. If I could just connect something to that, I, I think what what I loved about the movie, both watching it and and why I wanted to do it, was this sort of small like it's a thing where you miss, but just movie going experiences where you have small movies that feel like it's the filmmaker's uh, uh, pack. Like I like Marvel movies as much as the next guy, but there's something missing. I mean, whether it's Cassavetes or Kevin mm-hmm. Smith or whoever, where they're just like like it feels like someone maxed out their credit cards to get yeah, it on the yeah, screen, yeah. and just that feeling when you're watching a movie is something that resonates where it's somebody's like passion project. And that's something that Jesse, I think, really, uh, for me, accomplished when, when putting this film together. And maybe just because I saw behind the scenes like how, what he was what he was going through. But like, there's a lot of that in the movie. And that's the really rewarding thing. When, when If you're going out to see a movie, that's like a, a thing that you can't really get a lot of anymore. Yeah, I think that there's something, I, I get what you mean by that. There, there used to be in the theaters a, a right. much bigger mix of, of films that felt like passion projects, of mm-hmm. films that, that, that had, um, that did away with big special effects in, in favor of having uh, a real human emotion. I mean, that's screen. why Parasite sort of resonated with people, because yeah. it certainly feels like it's the, that guy, when he makes a movie, it feels like he's putting, mm-hmm. you know, everything into it, and... You know, now when you're making a movie for just a very little money, it's it's you, that's the only way to get that sort of feeling. And is there a sense when you're making a film for not very much money, uh, Jesse? Is there a sense that you really have to just work instinctually and you know be ready to to change things on the fly, or does it require a huge amount more? pre-production and planning and making sure that everything is going to go as smoothly as possible on shoot day. Well, I think you you hope that you can do that much pre-production and planning and that it will be uh, that smooth, but then there are still so many contingencies. No matter how much you try to control and contain things, uh, there is a lot that's unpredictable, uh, not least uh, the weather in Toronto in the winter, uh, or the or the late or the early spring, yeah. um, and so y- you want to you want to be able to roll with it. You do as much uh, planning as as possible, and uh, but then you're uh, you know there's a lot of spontaneity that that uh, that arises, and I think the 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 art of it or the luck of it is if that spontaneity can be channeled to the benefit of the movie if 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 the 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 unforeseeable uh doesn't send things off track but rather uh informs the movie in a positive way illuminates it and um these things that you don't expect that you couldn't possibly count on uh come together and that's like the lightning in the bottle yeah i think when you're doing a bigger budget movie the benefit is that if something goes wrong, you can sort of fix it mm-hmm. at some point later. Like, well, it's raining. We're going to do this tomorrow. Yeah. The, 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 in micro-budget movies, you, you do not have that luxury. But in micro-budget movies, you have more of a... Um, I think there's there's more room for discovery in some ways because um, there's there's those mistakes happen. Yeah. And suddenly there's life in the real Like, well, we need to figure out this problem. Why don't we do the scene here? And suddenly the scene explodes with life, you know. There's there's more room for discovery than there is in these any movie that's on like a sort of assembly line to production. Terry Gilliam says that mm. when he was making 
um, one of the films that the, where they come out the King Arthur film, the uh, the Holy Grail. Oh yeah, when he's making the Holy Grail, uh, the, he wanted to have. King Arthur and his men coming up over a hill all on horseback. But they only had a million bucks to make the entire movie and that the horses and whatever else right. the, the stuff was going to cost 20 grand and it was just too much money for him. So he put them all on broomsticks and then he has uh, someone, you know, following behind them with the right. coconut making the clomping sound and he said if I hadn't done that, it just would have been King Arthur coming over a hill on a horse and no one would remember the scene. Now it's the scene that everybody remembers from the movie. Because yeah. uh, he said, if I'd had more money, I would have been a worse filmmaker. Yeah, I think, and, and that kind of stuff happens all the time in in, in lower budget movies, mm-hmm. not necessarily in you know, in in movies like The Joker, where they can just reshoot it a thousand times if they want. One of the things that I thought there's a lot that this movie gets right about the restaurant business. One of the things that I thought that it got so right is his crappy little office downstairs. <laughs> and and people, I think, have this idea of like the celebrity chef, this well-known chef, it's going to be glamorous. Restaurant kitchens are the worst. They're yes. tiny, they're cramped, they're filled with stuff. Well, this was shot on location in a real place. Well, so yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, a, it's on College Street. And so everything you see is exactly... Yeah. I mean, every the the stuff on the shelves is what they had on the shelves. The, like everything about it was completely legit and authentic. There was some production design. We 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 art directed some of the the um, the clutter, but um, yeah, the the. The deglamorization uh, of elements of, of the restaurant was was you know part of the whole project. Um, uh, the um, the depiction of the kind of the the raw and um, uh, unlovely aspects of the business uh, was important to me. Um, I do like films that kind of strip away mm-hmm. the uh, uh, the illusion and and show you the uh, the backstage uh, reality. Um, well, and other food movies like Big Night or Burnt, it's sort of their backstage is still kind of amazing. Yeah, it's still spectacular. Pretty nice. and Big yeah. Night's sure. like a small, tiny restaurant, but yeah. like their kitchen is amazing and they're so amazing. Whereas these guys are just like behind the curtain, it's sort of their insides are rotting. Well, like and also like, when you step outside to have a cigarette, it's not great. Yes, where you yeah, just like, yeah. you're, just, you're out in the weather having a smoke. And, right. and that felt very real to me. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron, I, listen, we're, we're getting close on time. I have to ask you about this. I came across an article oh, no. where it says Aaron Abrams defends IMDb credits for oh, a green card golly. to U.S. Immigration Services. Yes. You live in Los Angeles yes. now. You're Canadian. You've made, uh, and you've made Hannibal here. You've made uh, mm-hmm. tons of films here. Uh, but what happened? So I, when you get a green card, you have to go to have a one-on-one meeting to, for authentic, like uh, to verify you in Montreal, and I think if you're if you're saying I need a green card because I'm marrying someone, like I guess there would be questions and right. things like that. But when you're just like I'm, me, the, yeah. the, so I get there and he's just got my IMDb page in front of me, and he's like going through credit by credit, and he would be like, so you're in Resident Evil two, and I was like, no, I was cut from Resident Evil two, and he's like, uh huh, <laughs> so you're. You think you deserve a green card even though you're a cut from Resident <laughs> Evil 2. Yeah, and he just went down every credit busting my nuts. Oh, about, and he was just like, oh, you were in, I was in a movie called Young People, yeah. which had a swear word in it. And he refused to believe that that was a real, it wasn't a porn. And I was like, well. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he's like, so you're in Han- Hannibal. Is that coming back? And I was like, well, we don't know yet. And he's like, you don't know? Is it going to be like a... They're just going to pop out of the bushes like candid camera. Is that what you mean? And I was like, no. Nah. But and, and then I tweeted about his things and not knowing that Entertainment Weekly would pick up these tweets. Oh. And then my lawyers were like, you know, you don't have the green card yet, you idiot. Mm-hmm. You can't be pissing off. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, so it became a bit of a debacle, a little bit. But, like, you know, it was... And, and I'd find out he had done that with a bunch of other actors. So he's... He's a, a, a new actor going in and interviewing with Montreal. I hope you get this guy because he's pretty great at busting your Like, he's very <laughs> funny. Whether he means to be or not, I have no idea. He's great at his job. I have nothing bad to say about him. Uh, but, yes, I've heard multiple people have this guy who does, does the exact same thing. And you're living in Los Angeles now. Yes. And you came back to Toronto in February and didn't bring a winter coat with you. Ah, <laughs> so I got ratted out. It was, I wasn't, I didn't think I needed the, leather, the, the, the coat. I couldn't find my hat. I thought I was in the, anyway, it was a whole thing. I forgot to put it back in the luggage when I unpacked my luggage to look for the hat, is essentially what happened. So I'm wearing two sweaters. It's not so bad. It's not so bad. I'll just get a mild flu. It, just a mild flu. You look good. You look good. You Thank won't get you. sick. Uh, we are in conversation with Jesse Ziegelstein and Aaron Abrams, the writer, director, and star of Nose to Tail. You can find it in a theater playing uh, near you uh, sometime uh, starting this weekend. Uh, Jesse, we just have like a minute left. What do you hope people take away from the film? I hope they get an honest uh, portrait of a hardworking, idealistic chef uh, on the verge of self-destruction um, who's uh, trying to save himself and his restaurant. Uh, this isn't Hell's Kitchen. Mm -mm. It's not one of those reality shows. It's not Top Chef. It's a, it, for my money, is a realistic look at what happens behind the scenes uh, in a restaurant, in probably any restaurant that you've ever been in, you're gonna it, there, there's an element of that happening somewhere in the back of the house. Gentlemen, thanks so much for coming in and chatting with me, Richard. It's been a pleasure. I, I've always been a big fan of yours. Oh. I was a long time listener. It's, yeah. I, it's is uh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're yeah. making me blush. You yeah. can't tell on the radio, but you're making <laughs> me blush. Uh, the film is called Nose to Tail. Uh, you can find it in a theater playing uh, near you. Check your local listings. My guest in studio have been writer director Jesse. Z Eaglestein and star Aaron Abrams. Uh, my thanks to Andre on the board. Most of all, though, my thanks uh, to you for listening. We'll talk again next week.